a regular read of the latest LGBT plus trends, TV, and the ever-expanding world of drag. Hello there, I'm the Velvet Snatch, and welcome to season four of Girl. As usual, I'm stuck here with the delicious, sensational, fantastic, slightly, slightly rigid Potter Stew. Slightly rigid. I don't think that's uh, one that you've ever used before. I'm quite good, and I promise one day I will let you out of my basement. Just not today. <laughs> one day, maybe at Christmas, sir. Can I? Can I have a treat at Christmas? Can I see the sun maybe, again? <laughs> maybe Halloween. More suitable. <laughs> And, of course, Jim Bunny Glenn, fresh from working out, I see. Yes, I've not even had time to shower today. But, <laughs> like, you know, I don't smell yet. I did go swimming, so I guess the chlorine helps disinfect. <laughs> I don't know. It's too scientifical for me. Scientifical. Um, scientifical. <laughs> I'm adding that to the Oxford Dictionary. It is now a word. You can like, tell he's got the brawn and not the brains, can't you? You looked very scientifical the other day. See, <laughs> it's like it's like Cheryl Cole doing the hair adverts, where it's just like, oh, here's the science part. She doesn't sound like that. <laughs> but yeah, and also our wonderful guest today, someone who we've been very much looking forward to for the last couple of weeks. It is a social media sensation and queer activist, Mary Lou Pearl. How are you doing, my dear? Hi, y'all. Glad to be here. Bringing a little Southern to the, to the UK today. Happy to be joining you. That voice is so... Oh, it's, it's beautiful, that voice. You're in Atlanta today, aren't you? I'm in Atlanta, yeah. Well, I had to Southern up a little bit. I mean, I could really do the Southern accent if you want me to, but oh yeah, I had to bring a little bit of my Southern charm for you today. I love it. You know, you know that thing where like, I think the Southern accent is like what people think the British accent is. Like Americans think, oh, the British accent is like really cool and sexy or whatever. For us, it's the Southern, you know, that, that wonderful voice is so good. Like the Southern bell. It's funny. I somehow, people accuse me of having like neutralized it over time because I don't naturally really speak with it. But somehow I just, I, I don't know, I lived in California for 10 years, but now, there's quite a range of southern accents. You've got the like southern genteel. Oh my, I do declare like <laughs> voice all the way to the like how y'all doing today? Like real like redneck kind of guttural. So you know we got the whole range here. I grew up around those people. They're my family, so I know how to do it. But I'm mine's a bit more neutral. Somehow I escaped without one. A few years ago, I went to a uh, Christmas Queens, and it was in Sunderland, and it was being hosted by Bob the Drag Queen, and he was getting <laughs> people up on stage and like asking them a quiz- Christmas question. If you got it wrong, you have a dip in this horrible bag, and if you got it right, you got like the fun bag, which was like random things uh, from Primark. And then he went, <laughs> he started going. Me went name four of the reindeer, so I started like naming one, and then people started yelling answers so he told them to shut up and then started like trying to do a british accent and then went actually new new task if you do an american accent i will give you a prize and i just instantly <laughs> went southern went hey y'all <laughs> and he was like this is good he just went i wasn't specific on the re on the american accent okay there's a prize (laughs) (laughs) no it's absolutely wonderful to have you on the podcast i mean obviously you know uh for people that don't know you how would you describe yourself challenging question i would say um 
one thing that I'm I was most grateful for in my life right now is that I get to wear a lot of different hats. And so drag has <laughs> you know, been a super important part of my life for the last six or seven years. I started performing in San Francisco and moved back to the South. I did grow up here, but moved back to Atlanta uh, just about eight months ago. So drag performer, um, stay pretty plugged into nonprofit and activism work, which has overlapped a lot with my drag as well. I I was telling before we got started today, I work at an LGBT summer camp where I'll go back and I get the opportunity to teach drag actually to young people, which um, is phenomenal experience. We can talk more about that as well. Um, And outside of all of that, I um, own my own consulting business and do HR consulting. So day to day, who knows who you're getting? There's a lot of different versions of me that I get to show up in, but I, I love that about my life right now. Well, how wonderful is that? I mean, I laughed at the beginning because obviously you say you wear a lot of hats and I know you mean in terms of role, but also that's the joy of drag. So you get to like uh, both literally and... we wear it today, yeah. <laughs> how wonderful is that though? Like, you know, that you can use your platform for activism. Absolutely, yeah. I think um, one of my friends who's a drag performer as well said once, when the spotlight's on you um, and you've got the microphone, what do you have to say? What message are you going to share with people? And I don't ever feel like anyone should ever feel obligated to use their platform for social causes. But certainly for me, um, and especially given the climate right now in the US and and I mean, all over, but certainly in the southern United States, legislatively and politically, um, it feels like a really important time to take a stand and to try and speak truth to power in a, in a moment when there's a lot of uh, just false information flying around that's you know going to negatively impact a lot of people. So um, I feel grateful that I get the opportunity to do that in my own small way and, you know, just want more than anything to push things in a positive direction for folks and try and spread some joy while I'm at it. Yeah. So while we're talking about, you know, well, let's start off with the drag. I mean, uh, Glenn, you had a question about the drag, didn't you? Yeah. Um, so where does your passion for drag come from? You know, it's funny. I, I joke with people that my journey into drag uh, was just a very slippery slope. I, I never really, like, set out to a drag performer uh i was not someone who dreamed about that or said like how you know how am i going to make this happen i sort of stumbled into it in a really beautiful way for me it was uh coming into doing drag and finding my love for it was happening at the same time that i was discovering a lot about myself and exploring my gender and gender expression and identity and you know i grew up in a place in the south here in georgia where uh, there was just not a lot of space for that and you know when even when i came out as gay uh, the message was well that's okay, I guess. But like, don't be that type of gay, like don't wear women's clothes or march in the parades. And now I do all of that, obviously. But, you know, I just didn't consider it. And so when I moved to the West Coast to San Francisco, which is very open and queer, um, I started to explore going on heels and makeup and then got to know drag queens and then met my drag mom, who was very generous and saying, like, you ever want to try this, I'll teach you the makeup, which I was like, that seems like a fun thing to try once. And then after that, she was like, well, I do a show if you ever want to be in it. And I've done theater. So I tried that once. And then before you know it, I'm performing a few times a month uh, out there. And you know, it's been seven years. So again, like, you know, I, I just sort of like tried one little bit at a time. But I think as I came to be more familiar with it and sort of demystify what drag meant, I just love the performance element of it. I love that I get to have a gender and expression. A lot of my drag is based on a lot of things in the South that I grew up on, Dolly Parton, Shania Twain. So getting to like take those things that didn't always feel like I fit into them as a kid and like redo them in a way that feels like queer and fun for me um, has been really special and a wild journey. I've definitely learned a lot from it. 
I mean, you you talk about it being a slippery slope, whereas the way you're describing it there, it's almost like you're on one of those conveyor belts and you've just got people being like, oh, here's some heels. Oh, here's a wig. Here's a thing. And then just gradually just building it up over time and be like, oh, I'm on stage. How did that happen? Yeah, they just like push me on the stage at the end. And then it's like, okay, well, I guess I'm here. Um, yeah, I remember, I remember uh, one time, like I was on my way to be like in the San Francisco Pride Parade with my partner at the time. And I was doing it with the company I was working at. And on the way, he was like, did you process that today you're like basically coming out to your whole company as a drag queen? And I was like, this maybe wasn't the moment to tell me that. But again, the whole way, I wasn't really like thinking the implications or like where it was going. I was just like, this is fun. Let's do the next thing, you know. But you're right. I was very lucky to have people along the way who were um, really willing to teach and sort of hold my hand, which is something I really always appreciate about the San Francisco drag community. It It was very open and supportive in that way where I didn't feel... Like it was competitive or like people felt like I was trying to take over their turf. They were very open to like, Hey, you want to learn? Great. Like here's a stage here. I'll teach you the makeup. You know, I'll be your backup dancer, like whatever you need, which was really nice. <laughs> well, that that's the thing. That's what I was going to ask you. I was going to ask you like, you know, if you had a drag parent or whether you were self-taught, like tell us about your amazing drag mother. Yeah. You know, in preparation for this and some other things going on, I actually texted sugar this week. Um, Sugar was a host of one of the, the, actually the show in San Francisco at a a dive bar in the Castro neighborhood that I started at and also really well known around town and performed a lot of the big clubs. And so again, I just was out one night, not really in drag, but in kind of like I would, what I would call like a club kid kind of look like, Mm -hmm. you know, some makeup and heels and a sequin jacket or something. And I think I went to pay her a compliment because she'd done such a great job in her number. And I just said, she said, well, your look is really cool. Do you ever do drag or perform or have you ever tried it? And she just really loved to teach people. And so she offered to teach my uh, partner at the time and I to do our makeup. And so we went to her apartment and like sat with her for like five hours and she would do something. We would try it and we sat there and tried on her hair. And she's just very generous with her time. And again, was just so, um, you know, kind and willing to connect me and get me going. And also just so encouraging. Like she was always there at the shows and would, you know, put her hand on me after and look at me, even when now I look back and I was probably quite bad. Uh, she would just say, I'm so proud of you um, and that you're in you know, what you're doing. And she's actually uh, left San Francisco, uh, moved to Kentucky with her partner uh, there. And it's not doing drag as much anymore. Mm-hmm. But um, again, we'll always be my mama and who really got me going and, and just was so um, generous in those early days when I was getting things together. I think that's I think that's amazing because that's exactly what you know the the community should be like. It should be sort of helping each other out or able to pass the knowledge on to other people. Because I, I I find that sometimes people are really protective of stuff and they're like, oh, I can't give advice or I can't help someone else out because then they might get better than me. And it's like, no, that's not how it works, really. <laughs> you know, it's yeah, just... it's not like a zero sum thing. We we can all pick up our different spaces and support each other honestly and help each other. Mm. One thing that I really wanted to ask you is that obviously we've talked about like, you know, your drag parent, but like with your actual parent, obviously there's been a lot of stuff about your dad and, you know, we had a cool thing where you got your dad into drag. But um, the thing I wanted to ask is like when I was reading about it, it's the fact of it, it reminds me of my relationship with my dad where tell me if I'm wrong here, but basically where. When I came out to him, it wasn't so much him being ashamed of me being gay. It was more him being worried about what other people would think. And it was like the weird thing there where it was a it, it was an issue because it was like, oh, but 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 don't do it in public. And oh, don't don't be like this. And, you know, 
and and thinking how weird that is where we have genuine homophobia and then we have things where you're like are you just being a parent are you just being like oh if you're outrageous or if you dress like a woman then you're going to get hurt or bullied and you wonder where what place it comes from like i hear you and listeners can't see but i was nodding the whole time you were talking so a lot of agreement in that um absolutely so you know it's interesting uh at least my experience early on was that i I couldn't see the broader picture and i couldn't understand what you're saying at the time it just felt like not full acceptance um i didn't see the protective element of it i just felt like why can't you get on board and understand these other parts of me and you know i did this exercise a few years ago with each of my parents uh separately and together where i sat them down and i interviewed them about their life and then i also asked them about my coming out and their experience and what their exposure to queerness um gender non-conforming behavior LGBT people in general was before um, as a exercise, but also to, you know, for myself to really just understand. And, you know, I can see now exactly what you're saying is that even when they were struggling with my um, sexual orientation, that they could sort of wrap their head around, but then they layered on all these other things like, yeah, don't be flamboyant, don't wear this thing or do that or quote, throw it in people's face. Um, You know, if you do really well in school and get a good job and outperform people, then they won't have any reason to not like you. Again, all this stuff that like, I can see how that was meant to like the barrier around me, but honestly messed me up for a long time. Right. Because I did those things uh, thinking that was the right path. And uh, it took me a long time into my twenties and thirties to unpack a lot of that and really say like, what am I doing for me? And what am I still doing to try and match this model? I was told is the right way to go. But, you know, eventually where we came to and, um, you know, we can talk more about the, the experience of putting my dad into drag as well. Cause that was really, I think the culmination of it. But, but even before that <laughs> we got into these discussions and arguments where I finally just said, like, I live in a different world than you. And I can see that you're trying to protect me in some ways, but your view is misinformed. It's not the world I live in. Um, and it's also not what I'm going to do. So you're, I, I, I take that I'm not doing it. And so your choice now is to just, move on and, and come on this journey that I'm on and experience it and open your eyes or shut up at this point. Right. Like I love yeah. you, but stop having these conversations <laughs> about like telling me not to do drag. Like I'm doing it and it's been wildly positive. So um, we finally got there, but yeah, I can see for sure that it was uh, given where they grew up in very small towns as well. My dad from Southern or from central Mississippi, even more conservative than where I grew up. Like it, it just to him felt like, Oh no, he saw how people were treated there and didn't want that for me. Obviously, a lot of the the stuff that you're mentioning is stuff that you've had on your social media, uh, which is obviously quite a good platform these days. It's where everyone's looking at. In particular, you've got quite popular on TikTok. You know, you've got quite a lot of views on TikTok, to be honest. (laughs) What sort of pushed you towards that platform specifically more than any of the other ones? Um, I would say, like, loneliness and sheer desperation during lockdown and the pandemic was what initially pushed me there <laughs> it's um, so well. uh, i you know i could give you a more eloquent answer but that's actually the reality um you know I, it's turned out to be an incredible um opportunity for me and I, I feel grateful for all the people i get to interact with there and on instagram but i um no initially i was living alone when uh the world shut down and I'd been performing multiple times a month all across San Francisco. And as soon as things stopped, I was like, I got to do something in here. I I can't just sit around and 
drink on my couch. I mean, I did that too, but you know, <laughs> I, I started, uh, I studied film and television in college. And so started to record some like longer form YouTube videos of, of shows that I was meant to perform live and I had all the costumes and stuff. Um, but my friend also messaged me and she's like, are you on TikTok? Like, I just feel like these videos you're making, you could do some really fun stuff with Mary Lou Pearl. You should give it a shot. Um, and so I did, and a couple of them got picked up and then I was like, oh, wow, there's something here. And, you know, initially it really was just for fun and um, about being able to create and play a drag and trying to make up and do things in this way since I wasn't able to inter interact with people in person. But I think especially after um, a lot of the maybe activist or like uh, societal awakening, especially in the United States, a lot of us went through in 2020, just realizing like, our, what is our position in the world to have a voice and speak out to things that mean something to us? Um, I started to rethink a bit like the focus that that should take. And, you know, more recently, uh, as I mentioned, with everything going on um, in the US, and especially around queer identity and queer young people, I just feel like there's a need and a void for positivity and, and putting more out there again, like speaking truth to these issues, but also just in being encouraging and positive towards queer folks. So I, you know, I've been doing a lot more lately around lessons and bits of my own experience that I feel like might be helpful for people to hear. And my journey as a queer person talking about my experience at the LGBT summer camp that I work at, um, even just doing like affirmations or things that are positive for, you know, uh, for people, because I think there's just a lot of doom scrolling happening right now of negativity. So to disrupt that and try and you know, positivity feels important. But yeah, I think um, talk is interesting because it, it, it is one where when I initially got on, I was really blown away by how there's an opportunity to reach so many people that you don't know, which I feel like was sort of a unique thing when it started. Instagram started to do more of that, but TikTok really all of a sudden I'm like, oh, how many people that I've never met have looked at this? Oh my God. Okay. <laughs> that is literally how we found found you, Mary Lou. Because <laughs> um, um, I was, it was me who was, I was doom scrolling. I seen your, one of your videos um, where you were doing your makeup, talking about growing up queer. And then that's when I was messaging Stu, like, we need to get this person on the podcast. This is see this is part of season four. <laughs> oh, that's so fun. See, that that's the other piece is like I don't I don't know. Someone once said something I, I really liked, which is like having a lot of followers on social media is like being rich in monopoly money. It's like it doesn't what does it actually give you? I know you can monetize it, but it doesn't mean so much to me. But I think like the opportunity that it's created to connect with people that I never would have before and have these conversations and, and whatnot has been really special. So I'm so glad that I was able to interrupt your doom scroll scrolling for a little <laughs> bit. And here we are. <laughs> well, it's exactly like you say, though, it's the fact of like, you know, it's really important for people when think when everything is shit in the world to basically just like have people going, hey, try this or hey, you know, like the, the it gets better movement from a couple of years ago is so fantastic. Just this idea of allowing kids and allowing young people who might not be able to speak to their parents who might not be able to speak to their immediate communities to have affirmation online and be able to see that it gets better is very important absolutely i mean it is, I, we could get into a whole conversation about the state of uh, u.s politics which uh don't, we don't need to do today uh, necessarily but I, I think you're right i think that uh I was actually having a conversation earlier with someone related to some different work. And uh, I was just saying that I think, you know, my, when I think about my why, like, why do I do professional work? I do drag. Why do I keep making these videos for people? It's it really comes down to like wanting young queer people to know that they're loved and they're okay. That, you know, that there is 
possibility to get out of their situation and to find a better life despite what they're seeing in the news and the media, which I can only imagine feels super hopeless. I mean, it was scary for me even not seeing all of that, right? Just being in a small place, a small town, not knowing other people, but like the national media is just broadcasting stuff related to your identity and your, and your young teens. Like I can't fathom that. And so that, you know, I think is enough to continue doing a small part of that and, and supporting other people in groups that are doing the same because we need these babies to know that they're okay, you know? Hmm. Um, <laughs> really do and have you found with your plat like as the platform's grown have you found much negativity like negative negative feedback coming through and how have you managed negative feedback when it's happened um unfortunately yes i think there's no, where none of us are immune to that i not that it's a joking matter but to just try and like not take it too seriously i'll, I'll say something to my roommate like well the algorithm's not working in my favor today it, <laughs> it, it took me over to the dark side of <laughs> of instagram or tiktok uh depending on coming up but yeah, i would say um that happens i think that some of it's quite expected you know and, and now that it doesn't like sting any less of of conservative people and folks using the same rhetoric that we see in the media of calling drag queens groomers or pedophiles and stuff that's probably untrue there's no data to support that right at a large scale but it's stuck in people's brains and so that gets thrown around i think the the part of it that i've been surprised by that is uh be more troubling that I am trying to name more because I want people to be aware of is that there's a not insignificant number of um, queer people, I would say probably largely uh, white gay men who comment things in opposition of queer and trans identity and say like, why are you making things more difficult for us? We've already fought for our rights and livelihood all these years and now you're demanding XYZ, use this pronoun you know, what, whatever thing that they feel opposed to, which try to let my brain understand, right, like where they're coming from to be able to have these conversations. But it's just really disheartening to think that folks within the queer community even are um, opposed to this movement for progress and equal rights. And even if that's what they believe, shut up and sit down, right? Like, I know that you fought and no one's negating what people went through you know, the queer liberation movement, the AIDS epidemic, and all these really difficult moments in time. So if you're not about the next movement, at least don't disrupt, right? Just let us do our thing and let people younger and wiser than me even continue to push, but certainly don't get in the way and say that somehow this is harming you when all that we're fighting for is especially for our grand siblings who are attacked even more than, you know, than anyone else, uh, that they can live a healthy, productive life. Like that's the baseline. So uh, I would say it happens, but that that piece really gets to me uh, because I think it's just really disappointing to know that there are people within the LGBT community like also actively opposing some of this progress. I think it's like because we get like, you know, that that old adage, like you get more conservative as you get older. And I think it's this idea of they're getting older and they suddenly can't see the parallels between the fight that they had and this new one, you know, because that thing, as soon as you're sitting pretty and you're like, oh, well, I, I'm kind of sorted, then, you know, it must get tempting to just be like, oh, well, let's not rock the boat kind of thing. A lot of the problem that we have with politics nowadays is people voting with, oh, but I'm OK, so let's not change anything. And it very much feels like that is happening inside the queer movement. Yeah. I would agree with that. And I, you know, see a similar shift here in some ways, too. I think that, I don't know, it's sort of like people hold themselves up and maybe their friends and then they get up to this 
level of privilege or status or stability and then be like, I don't care about everyone else that hasn't made it yet. Like now I'm just, I'm here. So like, I don't want to do that anymore. And I think um, even for folks who are, you know, born into a more progressive society today is like, let's say you know, the most privileged in the gay community, white cis gay men, uh, just not even looking back at the history and how their life would have been 20 or 30 years ago. And then saying like, I don't want to help my trans siblings, I think is a really, it's really sad and like a missed opportunity to use your experience and your privilege to help a sibling who is in need um, and just quite selfish. And again, like even if that's not your calling, like I know not everyone is called to be an activist or help on political causes or whatever it is, like certainly don't disrupt or get in the way um, of other people trying to do that because it really is not hurting you. I heard a saying once that like when you've been in a position of privilege, someone coming up to your level of equality feels like you're being oppressed, but actually that's not true. It's just that now you have to share the table with someone else. So mm. yeah, I would agree. It's disappointing to see, but I think maybe by naming that for people who don't even realize they're doing it or are just feeling more passive, uh, maybe it's a check for them to say like, should I be that way? Or are there things I could be doing even small, um, even just in conversations I'm having to support you know, our, our trans siblings who are, you know, at the, being the most uh, victimized and attacked right now. Yeah. And it's it's also the idea of just supporting people as people as well. So it's even if you even if you don't get it, even if you don't understand what someone's going through, you can still be there for them and you can still be like, OK, cool, I will do everything I can to make sure that you're safe, to make sure that you're happy. And as a community, that's what we should be doing. Yeah. The um, the author and activist Alok, familiar with them, I, they're phenomenal. And they uh, did this really interesting podcast uh, that was, it was actually on a podcast, you wouldn't expect the name, it's called Man Enough, uh, but it's a podcast around like gender and hmm. actually allyship of um, straight men with uh, other people in queer community. And they were talking about how there's so much um, rhetoric where people like want to understand someone else before they accept them. So like, you want to ask a million questions and all these things. And it's like, reality is you're never going to fully understand someone else's experience or identity. And that should not be a precursor for you, at the very least respecting them. You have to get to a place of believing people when they tell us who they are and understanding we will not understand their experience ever. But to your point, just choosing to respect them as human beings that we are never going to completely see eye to eye with, but that they deserve respect and you know, the same basic rights as that we do. Um, but that's hard for people. It's like they, they want to, well, I, I could never imagine, you know, not identifying as a man or a woman, or I could never imagine wanting to undergo this or that procedure. I don't need you to, you know, that's okay. Yeah. Then you don't, then you don't do that, but understand I'm telling you, or this person's telling you that's what they need and just believe them. Isn't it crazy that this ties into what you were saying about your parents, where it's the fact of like, they have their upbringing and they're sort of, oh, this is how the world works. And then we're applying it to other people now and being like, oh, everyone works in this like, oh, this is my understanding of the world. And, you know, it must be that it's comfortable for people to put everything in bubbles in order to go, hey, I know how things work. I feel comfortable. And obviously, I, I guess it's stuff like transgender things like do disrupt that and make people go oh what the hell you know the same as bloody like homophobes or whatever were just like oh but but it's man and woman why would it ever be anything different like my whole worldview is shattered you know it is it's really strange and it's fascinating when you get into it yeah people really dislike uncertainty they don't operate well in the gray space our brains are wired to 
solve and categorize. It's how we make sense of information. And so when you ask someone to sit in that certain space, that's very uncomfortable. Um, your point about my parents, I think one of the turning points uh, with my dad, uh, which I get a little emotional talking about because it's just so beautiful the way he stated this. But when I really asked him, like, what changed about drag? Like, why the hell did you ask me to put you into drag? Uh, that was such a, a pivot from where we'd been before. He just said, I realized this was a this was not something I was going to understand. Like, I kept trying to figure it out. I couldn't imagine why my child who has been successful in a corporate job and done all these things and graduated college and like all the other stuff, want to dress up as a woman and get on stage but i know you to be an amazing person and i love you and so i just said i'm not going to try and figure it out anymore instead i'm just going to like meet you where you're at and try and like experience it a little bit maybe that'll shed some light but i i've just admitted i've gotten to the as far probably as my brain's going to go with how i was raised (laughs) and that's all we're asking for you know it's just like don't try and figure it out. Don't try and totally understand. Just say like, I love this person and I'm going to show up for them with love, regardless of whether I get it or not. Um, I mean, I would give him every allyship of the like year century award for how he's, his journey has come and all he's challenged himself. But I thought that was so poignant. It's like, I just hit, I realized I'd hit the limit of my understanding and I was going to quit trying. No, that's so beautiful. But uh, my next question, obviously, is like, obviously, we've probably covered it. What keeps you making videos? Like, obviously, you know, you're saying you started TikTok in lockdown because, you know, what else was there to do during lockdown? And yet now it's like, what drives you now to keep making videos? Um, It's funny. I I did, you know, every week or two, I sit down and take basically a full day to just do a a batch of stuff. And that was this week. And I sure as hell didn't feel like it this week for whatever reason. It just was not not clicking. And so I was trying to remind myself um, a little bit too. I think it's people in the comments continue to affirm that this is really helpful and productive for them. And they appreciate the the tone and the message. I have folks who show up in my DMs pretty frequently sharing about their own experience and just looking for resources or support or connection. And those interactions feel really special because they're people I probably would never have met. And it makes me think like, okay, this is getting to the right folks who need to hear it. I also, for myself, like, you know, have a broader mission to continue to do this work for LGBTQ youth through the organization Brave Trails that I work with, the summer camp, but also to expand their reach um, here in the South where I'm living and um, help reach more queer kids and their families. And so I also see social media as a tool for that, that if I continue to invest in it and build this community of people and this message that it's less about serving me in some way of having a number or a certain number of followers, but at the point where those things start to come to fruition and launch, I, I'm excited to have that community of folks to say, like, here's something now that you can share with your own communities um, as we you know, grow those programs. And so I think in a way it's a, for the nonprofit and activism work I'm doing, hopefully a tool that I can leverage in the future. So you, you brought up uh, the, the counseling camp a few times. That's something that I wanted to touch on because it sounds like a really amazing opportunity, not just for you, but for the queer youth that you do get to spend that time with. What is the camp like? So what, what goes on at the camp? Give us give us a bit of insight. I'm, I'm curious to find out a bit more about it. It is just the most joyful place I've probably ever been. Um, <laughs> I've had an opportunity to travel a lot and I just don't know that anywhere I've ever been felt feels as like special and unique as the, uh, the environment. And it's not about the physical space, right? It's like what gets created there. Um, but essentially, you know, uh, 
I, first of all, did not go to summer camp growing up. So I'm not like a summer camp kid that this was like a continuation of that. Many of the people I work with are. I was introduced to it um, in my early 30s and just was like, this is, it was kind of camp like for me for the first time too. But you now if you've seen movies like The Parent Trap or something like it, it does feel somewhat like that. Like you go off to the woods, there's activities, you stay in cabins, folks you know, eat at the dining hall. They do, we do a flag raising, but it's of different queer identity flags every day, which is really <laughs> fun. And, and people can share if that they relate to that or identify that way. Um, but just take that and then like take the traditional like camp environment and layer on just everything queer. So people can opt into doing um, drag is, you know, uh, something I teach there, which has been really special. If kids want to, they can participate, but of course don't have to. There's also, we'll have people come do queer affirming sex ed or like groups that will form for uh, campers who like have a shared identity. So if there is a group of like transmasculine kids who want to talk about their experience being transmasculine, they can do that. If people want to, you know, talk about video games or learn about like do queer art. Uh, we had like someone come teach spray paint, like as an art form to folks, like there's all sorts of really interesting things that happen, but all of it is rooted in um, creating this really affirming environment for these young queer people where they can just take a breath, right? Like I feel like in their day-to-day life, they're very often having to be something else or explain themselves and we want them to just feel safe and, and also have the opportunity in that safe environment to explore parts of themselves that maybe they haven't felt like they've been able to yet. So, Hey, you know, many times they'll come and say, I have identified as a lesbian, but I'm, I'm not really sure about my gender identity. I want to try using these pronouns this week and see how that feels. Or I would love to talk to someone who's non-binary and see like, I just don't feel like I have anyone in my life, especially the connection of the campers with the staff where they're getting to talk to like, older queer people who are a bit further on is always really powerful because they're, you know, you know, the internet's very amazing. They get to connect and see stuff, but just having that interaction face-to-face is often quite rare. So it's really, really special. And, you know, it, it's, um, they've had as much or more impact on me um, as I have on them. And you know, I will be the first to admit too, that a, a camp environment is certainly um, often a very privileged space. Like there's a barrier to access financially for having your parents support to go. And so, you do a lot of work if given hundreds of thousands of dollars of scholarships for folks who couldn't access that financially, which I think is really special, including kids who are in the foster care system who get to come spend time with us, which is really cool. And we also uh, think a lot about how to create spaces outside of physical in-person overnight camp where people can. Um, so like online spaces, we do uh, mental health and counseling services for queer people and their families on a sliding scale, depending on how much you can pay with queer and queer affirming therapists. We also offer like pop-up events, brave spaces, or family camps where people can come just for the day or a couple days, uh, including queer parents who have kids who want to meet each other. So there's a lot of different options, but you know, all of it is just rooted in wanting to like create these potential spaces for folks, mm-hmm. have fun, you know, and do again. You can still do like archery and hiking and all that, but <laughs> there'll be also be kids taking drag and practicing their makeup at the same time. So it's pretty fun. See, it'd be like that bit in Priscilla where it's like drag hiking. If we could just combine them somehow and just cause yeah, hiking, absolutely. hiking Actually, in heels, that's got to be that. You know, that should be an Olympic sport. Truly, one of our uh, one of our counselors, who's also a huge supporter of the camp, uh, Patagonia, who is a big social media personality as well, uh, had a video go viral years ago that was of her hiking in heels. Uh, <laughs> I should send it to you. Look it up. Uh, that was one of her. Uh, first like viral moments i believe and yeah she actually comes to camp and will teach uh dragon do stuff in the outdoors so 
a little different. I was more of a city girl pre-camp, so getting me and my drag out into the woods has been an adventure, but, you know, I'm learning. It's <laughs> uh, just a lot of setting spray and umbrella and all that to try and protect from the elements because I'm not used to that. <laughs> I mean, Glenn, like, um, is there anything like this in the UK? Because obviously this is the thing, like, we don't have camp culture in the UK, I don't think. We have, like, the scouts, and I think that's the closest we get, isn't it? Where it's like, you know, you go to, like, you know a cabin by a lake or whatever for like a fortnight no like a like a weekend or something but then in america it's like i only remember it from like films like the adams family and stuff where it's just going oh okay it has these camps and stuff but like is it something is this something that the uk could benefit from do you reckon glenn so we do have like youth projects um because my dad's a youth worker um and managed the same project for about over 30 years now Mm. um and but to be honest really like his project is like just starting to reach into lgbt work Mm. in like the past four years maybe it's just started doing it more and now they're starting to put on um some like lgbt like based youth activities but yeah i think it's it's something that's still grown but equally i think in the northeast the lgbt support for teens and like for youth is poor Mm. Um, I'd say, especially in Sunderland, like, well, we we got the air scene, so you know, I, I, I think, that, I think like, it literally Newcastle. consists of messaging me on Instagram. That's basically the best support people have in Sunderland. Newcastle is probably a bit more progressive, but um, yeah, like I said, I think it all does need it does need pushing. But we wouldn't we wouldn't have like a camp as such. We'd probably have like a youth youth project locally where people mm. go there for the day. And then go then go home. Like my dad's like that's what my dad's yeah. does during the uh, school holidays is he'll get about forty odd children through the door. Uh, they'll go and do sports on the field, dance lessons, all sorts to be put on. And then he also includes their lunch. Um and some actually just turn up just for food and then go. But then equally when it's when it's in such a deprived area, actually what work they're doing is actually continuing keeping the kids having a healthy meal every day that they'd probably yeah. only get at school so. I mean, whatever level you can help someone at if it's just providing a meal for them it's still helping you know but but i think it'd be great if we could get this sort of thing done in the uk like you know an actual like queer camp where people are going in order to learn about queer culture and discover themselves because stuff like that like we don't really have it in schools like we don't really have decent sex ed in relation to queer people you know in schools and that weird thing where you're just going oh how do you find out about sex uh oh the internet oh great that's (laughs) that's gonna be awkward getting a lot of family prides are popping up now as well Mm. Uh, um trying to engage lgbt parents or parents with their kids as well that's kind of getting there i'd say and that's becoming more yeah. popular. It's it's a bit ridiculous because, you know, the horrible Tories rolled out this um, relationships education curriculum. Now I'm going back in my teaching background now. Yeah. Um, where, um, you know, and actually it was quite progressive and quite good. And now suddenly you've got a few of them saying, oh, yeah, they're using these books and them books and the, the pack of lies. Uh, because I actually developed the relationships curriculum in, in my last school. And everything is tailored to what children need to know about relationships. You know, and in the upper, you know, your secondary schools as they get into teenhood, what they're teaching there is not all, it's not always, you know, it's never sex. It's about staying safe. Yeah. And it's about, you know, and it's just like now suddenly they're going, oh, yes, yes, that terrible decision that was made is now under review. And it's like, well, 
you made that decision. And like, no <laughs> one's actually bringing them back to say, hang on, you rolled this curriculum out. So the blame actually is you right now if you're if that's the case. But it's not. The closest I got to sex ed when I was at school, for like in terms of like gay culture, is like, oh, don't get HIV. And you're like, Okay, yeah. but what what's the preamble to that? You know, it wasn't very progressive at all. But um, you know, we're talking about progression, like we're talking about progress in like, you know, not in the queer community, but in the the, the wider community. Like, do you think do you think I, I don't agree with this question really, but do you think that people will ever get over the drag storytime fiasco and accept that it's actually a wholesome event for families? And obviously I'm gonna paraphrase this because I'm pretty sure no one really gives a shit and it's all just fear-mongering and, you know, people going, oh, this is the thing I've decided to hate today rather than actually think that kids are in danger. But <laughs> that's my two cents on it. Yeah, I think I, that's what I was going to say is it's, I, I don't think it's as much about that they even care that much now or that they really believe it's bad. They're just repeating what they're seeing. And I think once it stops working for the uh, folks in politics who are weaponizing it, uh, they'll move on to something else. I mean, there, there have been uh, a decent number of articles written and reviews uh, commenting that, you know, in terms of like tactics from the right in the United States uh, for this political season, at first they were really focused on uh, access to abortion as like their hot button issue. But as mm -hmm. soon as they realized that wasn't going to work in their favor and that people were actually quite opposed to the Supreme Court ruling and there was a lot more progress, that was not controversial enough and so then the lens sort of shifted and it's like what other thing can we jump on and distract uh and so they've you know are just blowing up these stories somehow making it a big deal that uh the trans tiktok star Dol Mulvaney is drinking bud light now people are pouring all of their bud light out like how has that become like part of the news cycle that people care so much that trans girl who's just trying to make a difference is you know drinking this beer and you know turning them against these brands it's like it's a distraction and when you start talking about dangers of drag story hour and all this stuff when the leading cause of death of young people in the united states is now guns <laughs> okay very much that. that's the fact that's the fact. I mean, that's it. It's like, that's a distraction from what's going on. How much money is the NRA, our National Rifle Association, paying you to not focus on this, which if you were actually trying to protect kids, that's what you would do, because that is statistically the number one thing killing them now. So it, it just, yeah, I think that people will, it will move on. And I do think there will be progress and there will continue to be progress. I actually think in general, most people are not so against this. It's just hyper faction of the like trump right who is echoing it louder and louder and it's just getting further and further away from reality um keeping it in the guys right now but i do think they will move their attention along i mean we saw a huge backlash 2016 in the u.s after the marriage equality passed and that time it was really focused on transgender bathroom bills now this is the next wave of that i think we've, we've hit a level where we've made them uncomfortable because they've seen our power and acceptance and so then they turn try and break us down we will organize we'll push back they'll move on roll back a lot of these stupid laws that have gone through legislation in the courts it's not going to harm people in the meantime but i do think we will progress and then there will it will happen again right like mm. it's unfortunate but i had a really great conversation with someone at a, a an activist meeting here in atlanta recently and i asked they've been doing this for 30 years and i was like what's your perspective about the moment that we're in because for all of us it feels very dire and they were like it is but also i've seen this happen over and over and over and we do continually move upwards it's just there will be setbacks moments of challenge um so that's encouraging to hear but 
not going to be it's going to be a little bit longer unfortunately i think before that we get there yeah no definitely it's i just find it nuts like it's the sort of thing of because i love doing drag story times because it's just like i don't know there's something fascinating about how fascinated kids get by pooks you know like it's the sort of thing i did i did one like uh actually no it's probably november or whatnot and there was just this little kid and he was just he just wanted the story to be as quick as possible he was trying to turn the pages like no no i want to see what happens at the end and you're like hang on hang on i'm trying to read this and i don't know and there's something wonderful and there's something endearing about it and rewarding for both the drag queen and for the audience and a good friend of mine was pointing out the fact that like kids don't mind kids kids don't understand the whole drag queen they just see it as a costume they just see it as something like you know wonderful like a cartoon character and i'm just like surely we should do that like you know it gets the point of how do we allow them to go to disneyland when there could be anyone in those mascot costumes but that's not what we're talking about we're talking about something that specifically targets queer people because that's the agenda like you say that people are wanting to go you know go with it's nuts it's true it's um there's just no like fact really backing any of it up but you're right it is like truly a distraction you know like i i posted this this photo this week and we'll like tick tock about it of, that i'd found a while ago of this uh i had performed like in san francisco on the street uh when we couldn't perform in clubs we were doing these like sidewalk drag shows i don't know if you did that in the uk too it was quite an interesting time uh <laughs> trying to make it work but <laughs> i'd like finished performing and a, a a mom called out from a house down the block and said like hey my daughter uh keeps saying that you're a princess and really wants to meet you and take a photo would you mind walking over and so i came over and there's this probably three or four year old girl just enamored like she had her hands up against her face and just couldn't even speak and she was like oh. so was fascinated and you know we i couldn't get close to her so she's on the patio and i'm sort of down the street but just like the the awe and like interest and it's just so innocent right because they, they haven't been socialized quite yet to like think this is meant to be something scary because it's really not it's play and and you know people will comment stuff sometimes and like what about drag shows that are inappropriate and like what about you know there are things that would be i'm like yeah but same goes for movies and books and everything, right? Yeah. You don't let your kid watch every movie or read every book, right? There's a spectrum. And we know there are certain things and types of ways we perform and interact with a young person. And then, yeah, there are things after 1 a.m. in a drag club that is 21 or 18 and up, depending on where you are, like, that's going to be different, right? Like, that's yeah. just the nature of it. But the argument it falls apart immediately when you say, like, well, there's plenty of stuff that's not appropriate for kids, but we do a pretty good job of filtering that for ourselves. Yeah, it's that thing. It's like, it's like people asking for straight prides or whatever, and you're just kind of going, like... Yeah, but you you don't realize that that's all the time. Like, you know, we don't need it because <laughs> society is already pointing in that direction. You know? I grew up in a, conser- a Christian conservative place in the South. It was straight pride every day, I guarantee you. <laughs> so growing up yourself, and obviously you've had yeah. quite a journey on discovering your identity. So how was that journey? And also, how do you feel about the representation of non-binary people in the media at present? I, you know, it's been... I guess the journey never ends um, for my own mental stability. I hope I at least have a little bit of time before, you know, I'm anything else comes up, but I, I feel pretty like I've unpacked most of the layers at this point. I think for me with the, uh, you know, I, I came out as gay when I was 15, uh, started doing drag in my mid twenties and then um, came out as non-binary in my early thirties. I think the latter, um, as I processed it felt like it had always been there. And like, there were sort of these disparate pieces of things that I, 
I've known for a long time, right? I've been performing in drag for a while. I primarily, when I talked about myself or my community, I would say like as a queer person or queer community, I didn't really feel like term man or gay man, like really fit, but it didn't quite click until um, actually the first year I volunteered at the camp and started having some conversations with the staff there and people who'd been on similar journeys. And I realized that like Mary Lou is not some like disparate part of my experience. Like they're all on the same spectrum of like, whether it be, you know, today wearing a white t-shirt and, well, not no makeup. I'm always wearing a little makeup. You know, I got to cover the bags under my eyes, but not the level of makeup that I'd be wearing for, for doing drag. That it's all I mean, I love your nails merit. today. Your nails are fantastic. Oh, thank you. I did uh, a Cruella number uh, <laughs> last weekend, so I still have the red nails from, from that. <laughs> yeah, I, I just realized, like, this is all part of the same person and story and, and realizing that it kind of clicked into place with, that non-binary and gender queer really felt like it fit. And, you know, I, I felt a little bit of strange or shame around like, why did it take me this long to realize it? And a friend of mine who uh, is trans said, well, when we came up, the only labels we really had are like, are you gay or straight? Like pick one. That's mm -hmm. kind of it. No one was really talking about gender identity, at least in a broad sense where I grew up. Um, there was even a lot of erasure of bisexual people, like even orientation was meant to be binary. Right. And we realized now yeah. so many people are, and or queer or fluid and, and beautiful that there's so much more space. But um, I, I guess my overarching feeling about it all is a lot of gratitude. I know a lot of people don't get the opportunity to explore these parts of themselves and certainly not exist or live in a place where they get to figure that out and be open and embraced by their community by and large. So I feel really grateful um, for that. In terms of representation, um, I think it's continuing to grow. It, it's uh, frustrating maybe not surprising to see the way people like Sam Smith get treated uh, in the media uh, for just being themselves. I you know, have so much respect for them and they continue to just be their unapologetic self. I actually got a chance to see one of the first shows of theirs in London when I was over there and because I'll be at camp when they're here. So I was like, well, I'm going to try and catch them before I come back because I, I really wanted to. And I, I was, I will say on the same breath, like so overwhelmed in that moment to be like, younger me ever expect to see a non-binary person like an arena this big like doing a show like this and just being so unapologetically queer and celebrated by people i was like that's pretty cool we're we're growing i, I still don't see a lot of non-binary people in like film or television but that's starting to progress i think that they've always been there we just haven't called it that right like there's been other tropes that we use like a tomboy or <laughs> a more femme a person that actually maybe might have been, but didn't have the language or the space to explore that. So I think we've only seen it before, but actually labeling it as such, I think is still new because people are still figuring out the language um, and even for themselves, how they want to identify. So I think it will come, but um, we still got a long way to go. I mean, um, you know, Hollywood still can't even write for women properly. So the idea of it, you know, them managing to get uh, queer people and, uh, you know, non-binary people, right? It's like, okay, this will hopefully happen one day. But... So just, we need to get more people in the room who identify that way to tell them how to write, right? That's the big thing is having people actually creating yeah. those stories who identify that way. Because we still have the boards of places where you're like, hang on, wait, you're all straight cis white guys. Like, how you know, what, what? How are we expecting to make any progress here? You know? Exactly. Very true. We, we need to get more people representing themselves, you know, speaking out about it, or at least have them among the mix and say, well, hang on, that's not who we are. Or, you know, that might be how one person you've met who identifies as that may act, but we're all different. You know, it, it's it's the same regardless of 
gender, of sexuality, every individual has their own way of being. You know, someone who identifies as a cis, straight, gay man might have the exact same mannerisms as someone who's a flamboyant, femme, gay person. Why, w- why would you then assume that, that there's, you know, a binary for either of them? It's a bit wild, to be honest, <laughs> but that's something that we could probably talk about for hours, realistically. Mm. What I would like to ask then, given that obviously the whole sort of theme of the podcast has been, you know, queer youth and development and stuff. Do you personally have one solid piece of advice that you think could benefit sort of the queer youth in general? I would say that there's so much noise right now and rhetoric out there that you know is distracting and can make people get a bit hopeless or confused. I think trying to find quiet space to get in touch with yourself and just listen to how you feel and what feels true to you. And if you feel okay with that, then that being your center and your truth um, is really important. I think that was important for me and figuring out my identity and not worrying so much about what it was going to be like when I started to tell people or if it made sense, really just making sure that like I felt sure in myself. I think the other is like for young people, just remembering that they still have so much life to live ahead of them. Um, and that can feel really hopeless, like things aren't going to improve. But as someone who came out almost 20 years ago for the first time, I could not have imagined where my life would go and the community that I would find and the surprises. I mean, drag being one, like I said, I did not predict that one at all. Um, And I know there's a lot of privilege in that for me that it's turned out that way. But I think for many folks I talked to just felt so hopeless when they were in their small place or didn't hadn't made community yet. They were really scared and they wish they could go back and tell that younger person like, be okay, like hang in there. It's not gonna be easy. Like there's going to be tough moments. And as much as you may want to come out and tell people like that may not feel safe for you. And that's okay. Like take your time. There's no rush. But there's a huge community of people out there ready to embrace you and be your family, even if the family that you're in is not supportive. Um, but it takes time, right? And this identity journey, it doesn't just click. You're not I'm searching for something that you find and then you're done, right? It's like, as we were saying, often lifelong. So patient with yourself. But I think just if anything I could infuse is this feeling of like hope and possibility and to you know, try as best you can to stave off the hopelessness because I promise there is a lot of, you know, it's going to, not okay, I think. No, that's yeah. beautiful i think i think it's great because obviously we have people should just try stuff out and obviously everyone's a bit too scared to do it like you know i've always i've always been saying like there's so many people where it's like you need to get open about being like queer in order to sort of try or if you think you are if you're bi curious like see what happens like try kissing a guy try dating a guy and then just go oh this doesn't click and at least then you know and that you know and it's good that we're getting youth nowadays that are questioning their gender and they're going like hey okay like like you were saying at camp with the idea of people going hey i'm going to try out these pronouns and see how i feel about that and then by doing these things their identity clicks there was this one day where um the mornings like we encouraged the campers that day if they'd like to like change a pronoun or name for that day happy to some do every day (laughs) don't at all well one day this quieter kid uh who was a trans masculine uh kid was uh labeled female at birth and was uh socially transitioned not medically but socially transitioned to dressing more masculine that day was like hey i really i i feel like i want to try they them pronouns today hey okay 
look, everyone, this person's using these pronouns. Please respect that. So at the end of the day, they come back. And uh, I was like, how'd it go? And they were like, terrible. I was like, oh, no. Like, I'm going into, like, mama bear mode. Like, who said something? Or, like, what, you know, what happened? Uh, and they were like, no, 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 nothing happened. I just, it felt wrong. So I'm going to use he, him again. And I was like, okay, that's great. Like, tried it today. It didn't feel right. That's perfect. And then we move on. Like, it's not some big scary thing. There's no indoctrination or whatever the hell people want you to believe. It's just, like, not no judgment zone to, like, try this on and then decide, nah, that's not right. And we keep going. That, that must be why people are scared, though, because it's like, you know, the, you know, it's not signing a contract. It's like, no, 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 you're trying to keep the world in a little box. And you're trying to make it all concrete and whatnot. And then effectively we're saying hey just change your mind like you know work out what works for you try out different things or whatever be fluid and society doesn't really like that society likes to know where everything is exactly they want clear answer which can be hard because the like coming out whatever that looks like sometimes people want to know the, the new rule book and if i was you know i do generally feel they then pronounce that most of the time when i'm in drag she her is good but it's often more fluid but you know, just for the sake of consistency, I'm like, let's just say they, them and go with that because most of the time, but people, again, they want, they want like a clear answer and a definition, right? Whereas sometimes for many of us, it's like, it's kind of flexible and like, yeah, I respect, especially the kids at camp who will come and like day to day, it kind of changes and they'll change it all the time. I'm like, good for you. You know, like, I wish I, like I could do that in my life too. I think it is really beautiful that there is a safe place for children in america to be able to explore their identities and whether they do that through just regular activities or even playing games and getting to know each other that way and learn who they are speaking of games Stu, yeah do you think, think we should uh, start a little bit of a game then it'll warm me up for the summer since i'm going back uh, to camp get me back in the game mindset i need to practice a little bit again yeah. I, I assure you that your games will be far more professional than this one. So, Stu, what right. what questions have you Googled this week? Don't call me out like that. It's true. That's <laughs> exactly what I do. Um, so this week, I thought we'd we'd sort of combine a bit of fun with a bit of sort of, you know, rights and things like that. So we're going to play a game called Is That Right? The idea is that to win a fabulous Stu Peter badge... <laughs> in the colour of gold for the winner, or a silver one if you're a runner. Uh, we're going to ask questions to each of you in turn. So Mary will go first, and then Glenn will go afterwards. About the sigh of relief that laws... it's not me doing it this week. The, the well, you're real, you're real this week. <laughs> I, did, I did think, since you're not feeling very well, I will pick on Glenn again. Um, so yeah, the, the questions this week are surrounding sort of laws and rights in countries. They're all daft ones. So some of them are going to sound like they're not real. And what I want you guys to do is tell me if it's real or if it's not real, basically. A bit of a true um, or false thing. Yeah, it's just a little true or false thing. So I'll give you one. Tell me if it's true or false, basically. Um, Velvet will keep score. And then at the end, we will shockingly reveal that probably Glenn hasn't won. Um <laughs> Although I think you I think you have won at least one now, so Yeah, you, yeah, you, you well, got your goal. Yeah, I beat James last week. Like <laughs> You did. Well done. See if you can make it two in a row. So, um to start, Mary. In France, it's illegal to name your pig Napoleon. I'm gonna say that's not right. False. It's actually true. <laughs> Whoa. Oh. Quite an like a lot of government oversight for the French to do that. Uh, was my thinking, oh, yeah. but okay. 
I guess so. I guess not. We can't talk about Napoleon like that. I just so love that that must quiet. exist because there's a frequency of people doing it. Like, you know, the idea of everyone was naming pigs Napoleon. It's a brilliant law. I quite like that one. <laughs> if you can name a pig Trump in the United States, I bet. It's a good question. <laughs> That's exactly that it. It's exactly that. It's that same thing, you know. But, oh, gammon. Right. Gammon. Very much gammon. Uh, Glenn, between the hours of 29 minutes past three and 47 minutes past six, people in Madrid cannot ask each other what time it is. That's false. It's true. <laughs> is that siesta time? There's, it might be siesta time. I, I didn't get an explanation for it. I just <laughs> saw the fact it was like, that's great. You can't just do that and then not have a reason for it. I think it's when things close for siestas, maybe is why. It should be. I, I, I think that's probably correct, but it gives everyone a reason to go out and do some educating online, so, you know. <laughs> um, okay, Mary, there is a city in Switzerland called Zug where it's actually illegal to consume chocolate between midnight and six in the morning. True. That one is actually false. I absolutely <laughs> bullshitted that one. Is that like gremlins? Wow, okay. Is it, you know, don't feed them after midnight? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it doesn't exist, so it could be. It could be anything you want. Uh, Glenn, in Goodyear, Arizona, you can be fined up to $2,500 and six months in prison for spitting. I want that to be true. It is true, according to the website that Google gave me. (laughs) Is that a point? We've got a point. We've got a point. We finally, we've got something on the board at last. (laughs) Something's on the board, yeah. (laughs) Okay, Mary, in Connecticut... Any pickles need to pass a bounce test before they're sold. If they don't bounce, they can be sold. <laughs> don't bounce, they can be sold. Mm. That's true. So it is false to an extent. Uh, it's the other way around. So if they don't bounce, they're bad pickles. You want them to bounce. Hold on. So I felt too specific to be made up, but okay, that makes sense. How, how does that work, though? Do you not get all these dirty pickles because you bashed them off the floor? But maybe it's like if they're yeah, in, in the middle. <laughs> like if they've started going bad inside, they might not bounce. And if they're healthy, they would bounce. They would bounce, uh, yeah. Did, you've got to so, get that So you don't bounce. have a dodgy pickle. <laughs> yeah, dodgy no one wants pickle. a good one. <laughs> 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 that, that, name. That's my grinder name, Dodgy Pickle. I'll put, Dodgy I'll, pickle. I'll change it now. <laughs> Maybe it's... Does your pickle bounce? That's That should be the question on all dating sites now. That's Does so your pickle weird. bounce? That's a weird law, man. It's, it's brilliant, honestly. Some of these are fantastic. Do they do it with everything uh, there, though? Do they get cakes and they're like, well, does it bounce? No, it was a good cake. It, it's gone now, though, but... It wasn't jelly, damn it. Um... <laughs> Okay, Glenn, in Wales, there is a law preventing farmers from being taken to court if they're caught trying to milk a ram. <laughs> That's not true. That That's not true. true, but I thought it would be funny. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to bring up the, um, there's a law in Chester about Wales. Oh, they're um, shooting a Welshman. Yeah, so if you stand in a certain part of Cheshire and you use a crossbow... You can, and you shoot a Welshman, that is legal. <laughs> However, oh. uh, they've got to be stood in a certain place as well, though, and now there's a lot of buildings in the way, so your crossbow's not getting through that. I, I love the idea, though, that you're like, did the person who made that law also go on to kill a Welshman with a crossbow, per chance? 
Sounds likely. It's like Henry VIII being sort of like, oh, suddenly divorces are fine. And you're like, hmm, that's a coincidence. <laughs> okay, next one for Mary. It's illegal for women in Denmark to wear wigs. Illegal, you said. Um, yeah. um, it's apparently true, according to the website that I was looking at, of weird <laughs> European laws. Wow. What? Really? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he, apparently... I'm basing it on this these two random websites, okay? So if none of these are facts, don't blame me. It was just a bit of fun. Um, some old law in the books or something, yeah. Back in the day, like it was like a proper thing for like leaders to wear wigs or something. I don't know. Yeah, I think I think a lot of these weird laws are based on old school things and stuff that might have changed in the past. Glenn, speaking of women, in Budapest, you may only tell a woman she's beautiful if she isn't wearing a hat. I'm gonna say that's true. It's false. That was out uh, of my brain. <laughs> These are all dumb. And, and as you can imagine, I'm quite good at writing dumb laws. Um, okay, Mary. Fair, Tennessee seems tell... to have beaten you to the punch. Uh, uh, yeah. You have a career in politics in Tennessee. <laughs> I know, right? To come and set myself up. Okay, Mary, if you tell a man in Italy that they don't have the balls, you can actually face a criminal fine. True. It is true. <laughs> Wild, but true. Yeah. Um, Glenn, final question for you then. In Germany, people are banned from mentioning the year 1966 in any football ground. False. It's true. And it's because it's the year they lost 4 2 to England in the World Cup. Sport <laughs> reference. Not bitter on this at podcast. all. Um, I'm going to go around Germany and visit all the football stadiums during a match game. Be like, we have not been here since 1966. <laughs> <laughs> and they would believe you because you look old enough. Oh, second shady mark of the day, Stu. <laughs> That's it. Remember, I'm driving tomorrow. Fair enough. Well, at the end of okay, at, at the end of that, we have. Oh, it's a tie with all of us, including you, Stu, for that sick burn, having one point. <laughs> yes. Excellent. I'll take the sick burn point. Is this the first time we've actually needed the tiebreaker in a good I, long while? I think it is. And it's and because the tiebreakers are always so ludicrous, I'm a bit kind of like, whoever wins here, I don't know if it's a victory or not. You know? I, qu- I quite right. like this one. <laughs> So the tiebreaker, it's always it's always a number-based question because that's the easiest way to try and do a tiebreaker. Um, so I'll ask you the question and then I'll ask you each to give me a number based on what you think the answer is. Closest wins. Simple. Uh, it's just maths and normally the gays don't do math, but in this occasion we're going to. So if you refer to a policeman in Germany using do rather than see, which is the more formal term, mm. what is the maximum fine in euros that you can receive for doing that? So we'll go with Mary first. Give me a figure. How many euros can you be fined for using the wrong term for a police officer? I'm going to say £150,000. Okay, Glenn? You said €200,000. I'm going to say €3,000. I'm not in this game, but I'm going to say that. I'm going to say you all massively overshot. Um, it's not that much of a crime. Um, it's only 600 euros. <laughs> so, uh... technically, I think Velvet won. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I get a point. So, all of us are drawn. So, it's a four-way tie. Do we, do we all get badges now? I'm confused. I guess we do. This has never happened before. But Wow. Okay, so we all get a badge, but I think, technically, 
out of the two competitors, Mary Lou has won. Yeah. I think as, as the guest, as the guest, they deserve they deserve the win. I didn't realise there was even a fine for it because I keep doing messing it up all the time because I only learned the uh, informal tense. So whenever I go into shops and stuff, I'll just be like, "Hello, mate," and the woman's just like, "Foreigner, eh?" You know. I see your leniency, but I haven't needed to deal with a policeman, so uh, thankfully. <laughs> Well, be careful, you might get fined up to 600 euros. <laughs> yeah, no, oh, was, well done, well wild. done. And congratulations, Mary Lou Pearl, for winning that game. Just clinching it, clinching it at the end. <laughs> Again, I don't know if winning is winning with obscure laws and fines, but I'll yeah. take it. Thank you so much for being on the podcast, Mary Lou Pearl. I mean, there's so much more that we want to ask you, but it's where might people find you? Do you have anything that you'd like to promote? Uh, I would say the best uh, we alluded to, but I'm Miss M-I-S-S Mary Lou Pearl on Instagram and TikTok, so you can find me there and linked in both of those uh, bios. You can find information about the camp that I mentioned too, but you can also go to bravetrails.org learn more about that organization and how you can support um even finding them on social media there's a lot of really cute and sweet content that comes from camp if you want to interrupt your death or doom scrolling (laughs) in a different way uh check them out i'll be there this summer helping them with their some social media stuff as well so um, and i'll just say thank you as well for having me you all are a pleasure and um how we got to connect? <laughs> no, it's been absolutely wonderful. And obviously, we talked about uh, you getting your dad into uh, drag. That is all on your social media, isn't it? Because that is an experience, you know, like thinking where you came from. And like you're saying, that hero's journey that he's kind of had as an ally is wonderful. Absolutely. Yeah, it's pinned at the top of my uh, Instagram. So you can check it out there if you'd like to. <laughs> yep. Glenn, Stu, do you have anything that you would like to promote? I'm going to say pop over to our Girl Global YouTube to catch all of our interviews from Drag Idol UK. Um, By this point, the final of Drag Idol UK content will be up. And also our very wonderful content from Totally Drag. Alton Towers, how crazy is that? Drag Queens and Roller Coasters, what a combination. (laughs) Could possibly go go wrong. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Wigs flying everywhere. Wigs come off as you go upside down in the loop and then everyone gets a new wig as you come back down (laughs) oh my god that would would be an amazing tiktok (laughs) that's like trying Um, to swap them while you're going (laughs) i love that i would i would second what glenn said uh give us give us a little watch on youtube check out our tiktok there's going to be loads of upcoming content and as usual uh be queer do crime (laughs) <laughs> yep uh, and as, it to include everyone there we go well, you've made it more inclusive but still illegal Stu so uh... <laughs> that's fine <laughs> I'm fine with that no and obviously myself I'm the Velvet Snatch on my socials and thevelvetsnatch.com because one day when the planets align I might update it let's not go wild you've, here, said, you've said that for four full seasons now. I, I literally I'm, I'm in this weird period where I haven't updated the website since December and I've done so much and I'm like do I just retroactively put these on as though they were always there and just be like yeah posting that event poster that uh, I didn't do and stuff you know I don't know. I don't know if I'm sort of rewriting history by doing that. But uh, yeah, I will get it updated at some point when I have time. Thank you so much, dear listener, for tuning in. And we hope you've enjoyed. Mary Lou Pearl, thank you so much for being such a wonderful guest and opening our minds to the wonderful world of queer activism. Absolutely. Thank you again for having me. It's been a pleasure. 
Right. Now, how are we going to sign off this week? How does anyone have any ideas? Are we just going to count to three and go hello? No, not hello. Goodbye. Hello. Oh, God. Mary, do you, have a, do you have like a signature sign off when you're on stage or anything that we can steal and do over the audios? Uh, I think you should do. Y'all come back now. You hear? <laughs> That's a great one. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yep. So. Southern. Well, thank you so much for tuning in. We will see you in the next episode. One, two, three. Y'all come, come back, back now. now. You're here. You're here. <laughs> that was amazing. Nice. Ooh, ooh.